Real quick, for the sake of time, let's jump into the Word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. Lord, thank you for your presence and thank you for allowing me to be here and to be the student pastor of your students, the greatest students on earth. Um, this morning, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to pick up at verse 4. And it reads like this. It says, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders and a staff. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him, and he stood and cried out unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? And ye servants of Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And I'm going to quickly jump to 32 and 33, same chapter. And the Bible says this, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Let's all go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence that is in this house today. God, we thank you for your spirit that you so freely give. God, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that is new each morning. God, I pray right now that you anoint me, anoint my mind, use me, God, as a vessel. Speak exactly what you want to be said and nothing more, God. Be with me this morning and be with us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. You may be seated. This morning, I would like to tell you this. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. I knew you'd laugh. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. There's a story of this piece of art uh, somewhere in upstate New York where on the wall, this piece of art hangs and displayed on the canvas is a picture of a chess game. And on, on that picture, you have a man on one side who is sweating. He looks defeated. He's perplexed. He's confused. And by all accounts, he has lost this game. And then on the opposite side of the board, you have the old devil. And he's sitting there with a grin on his face, smiling from ear to ear. Happy as can be, and he has the look of victory. And then when you turn your attention to the board, the game of chess, you can come to the assumption that, that the devil had won and the man had lost. And for years, this was the story. The name of this painting was actually called Checkmate. And the story, the description behind the painting was that the man was playing, or the devil, excuse me, was playing the man for his soul, and the man was one move away from losing, the devil had it in the bag, it was done, it was over. And that was the story for years, that was the gist of it, that's how they told it. In this morning, while I was reading about David and Goliath, it reminds me of this story because David and Goliath is a tale of improbable circumstances. It's a scenario of the impossible becoming possible. 
On the surface, it's the original underdog story. But hidden within is this open display of God's infinite power, his wisdom, his strength, his knowledge, his authority, and complete control over the universe. And I want to just tell you this morning to don't make any mistakes that God has complete universal power over this world. This story is a reminder to you and a reminder to me that no matter how bad it may look, that no matter how bad it may be, that no matter how awful things may seem, that the battle is never really over until God says that it's over. It is concrete evidence that we can, in fact, do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It's the proof in the pudding. It's something you can stand on. But David, on the surface, the odds were stacked against him, so it made sense to feel that way. There were many reasons why he would be con- this would be considered an impossible task. You see, David was a shepherd boy. That day he was just a messenger boy on an errand for his father, Jesse. And the only reason that he was able to get close to the battle that day was because his dad and his mom was worried about his brothers and he just sent them to check on them. He didn't belong there. He was young. He didn't have the training. He wasn't battle tested. And it really didn't take much of a genius to believe or see that David was totally outmatched. David was a rhyme master. He was a verse maker. A versifier. He spent his days in the field tending the sheep, writing poetry and songs and playing the harp and just being a shepherd. He, he wasn't even old enough to be there that day. He was the little brother, the runt of the litter, just an insignificant little shepherd boy. Nobody took him serious. And his own brother scolded him that day on the battlefield. Eliab turns to David and says, what are you even doing here? You don't belong here. David, you're just a shepherd. Who's taking care of those few sheep while you're here? You need to go home, grab your harp, and go back to the field. King Saul takes one look at David and immediately made his mind up. He says, you're just a kid. You're just a boy. David, you cannot do it. You cannot win this battle. This man has been fighting since he was a kid. And I don't know if you've realized it, David, but you're a kid. David, you're no match. You're just a shepherd. And you're pretty good at playing the harp. So why don't you just stick to that and go back to the field with your sheep, and I'll call you when I need you. David, Goliath is a warrior. He's a conqueror. He's just as bad as he is big. And he's nearly nine feet tall. The mere sight of Goliath strikes so much fear that none of my men will stand up and fight. None of my men will go to battle against him. Because he's a battle-tested man. He's trained in hand-to-hand combat. David, he is the hope of the Philistine people. He is the people's champ. Would you just look out there at him, David? He's arrayed in the most beautiful, splendid type of armor. It covers his arms, his legs, his back, his shoulders. David, would you look at those shin guards? They're made out of bronze. Would look at those, those, those feet plates made out of bronze. And David, guess what? Even his helmet is made out of bronze. And I don't even see you having any armor. You don't even have a sword. He's outfitted with three different types of weapons. He holds a javelin made of entirely bronze. 
which is capable of penetrating any, any shield, any, any armor. David, he has a sword on his hip. Oh, 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 yeah. And I forgot his primary weapon is the most dreadful of them all. It's a short-range spear with a metal shaft as thick as a weaver's beam. And it can penetrate any shield and any armor. David, would you just look out there? There's a reason I'm in my tent and I'm scared. There's a reason I'm the giant of the Israelites and he's the giant of the Philistines and I'm scared to death. Because we can't do it. None of us can. The truth of it is, is that day Saul's opinion wasn't all wrong. Goliath was a warrior. David was a shepherd boy. And sadly for many, that's all it would take. I'm good, I'm going home, I'm done, let me pack my stuff up. I'm out, here's your bread and here's your cheese. I'm out. You convinced me. But it's not David. David makes his way down to the riverbank, finding five smooth stones and fearlessly, fearlessly steps onto the battlefield. And then he makes this bold yet heroic proclamation. He says, you come at me with sword and spear, but let me tell you something, you uncircumcised Philistine. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He grabs a stone out of his pouch. He puts it in his slingshot, swings it around and around and around in his head. And what seems like the most luckiest of attempts on the surface, he hits him in the only place that he didn't have some amazing armor. Wow. And that's the story. That's a story I've told my kids. That's a story we teach in Sunday school, and it's accurate. That it was a one in a million shot, and David was completely outmatched and never stood a chance. That's what his brothers believed. That's what Saul believed. And honestly, that's what everyone believed. And it's exactly what the enemy wanted him to believe. And you hear me this morning. It's absolutely what your adversary wants you to believe. He wants you to accept it in your heart right now that you can't win. He wants you to go ahead and accept it that your sickness can't be healed, that your comb can't be rebuilt, that your business is going to go bankrupt. He wants you to accept it that what your, your sin that you're dealing with is going to be the sin that you deal with the rest of your life. He wants you to go ahead and forfeit the fight and give him the battle because he understands one thing. That if you ever gain the confidence, he is no match for you. He wants you to fall for the lie. He wants you to say, this is the best it's ever going to be for me. And as a matter of fact, he's depending on you to believe that lie and to forfeit the fight. He trembles at the thought of you ever seeing past the facade. At the thought of you ever understanding what it means when the word says, if my God is for me, who can be against me? And I just want to tell somebody this morning, if God has brought you to it or life has brought you to it, hang on, dig your feet in the sand because God is going to bring you through it. Don't stop. God has already given you exactly what you need. He's already equipped you with exactly what you need to get through it. We are the people of the name. We just sing about the name of Jesus. And all things do work together for those that are called according to his purpose. And we are called according to his purpose. And when God calls you, saint of God, he equips you. He gets you ready. He's not going to throw you out there to the dogs. You see, David may have just been a little shepherd boy. His days were spent tending to the sheep. But what they didn't know and no one else seemed to know 
is that day when David stepped onto the battleground that David was a slinger. And slingers in that day were bad news. They were not to be played with. They take you out. Ancient armies had three different types of military units. The first was the cavalry, which was your armed men on horseback or in chariots. Your second was the infantry, and they were your foot soldiers wearing your armor and carrying swords and shields. They were fit for close combat. And the third were your projectile warriors, or what we would call today the artillery, which were archers and most importantly, slingers. The sling was not to be confused with a child's toy that you may give your son or one of your, your daughters if she likes slingshots too on Christmas morning. You see, the sling was made and held together by a leather pouch attached on both sides by a long strand of rope. And they would put a lead rock or a ball or, or something like that into the pouch Swing it around increasingly wider and faster circles and then release one end of the rope, hurling the rock forward. Slinging took an extraordinary amount of skill and practice. But in experienced hands, the sling was a devastating weapon. As a matter of fact, paintings from medieval times show slingers hitting birds mid-flight. That's impressive. Irish slingers were said to be able to hit a coin from as far as they could see it. In the book of Judges, our Bible, slingers are being described as, as accurate within a hair's breadth. And an experienced slinger could kill or seriously injure a target of a, at a distance of up to 200 yards. Not only were they deadly accurate, but the velocity of the object released from the sling could travel up to 105 miles an hour. Amen. Imagine. Imagine standing in front of a Major League Baseball picture and let him throw baseballs at your head. That's kind of like what standing in front of a slinger was like, except what the slinger was throwing at you wasn't a ball wrapped in cork and leather. No, it was a solid rock. Slingers were revered. And hands down, you hear me this morning, hands down, slingers beat the infantry. And David was a slinger. Problem number one for Goliath. As David steps onto the battlefield, Goliath tries with all of his might to humiliate David with his words. He tried to strike fear in the heart of David, just he had done countless times, convincing his opponents that they never really stood a chance. Because Goliath knew that if he could ever shake his enemy's confidence, then the fight was pretty much all well but over. And that's the same fight that you and I and us and the body of Christ that we're facing today. Because if the devil can make you doubt God's promises and calling upon your life, he's already won the war. If he can convince you to quit, it's over. But here's the thing. Goliath was big. He was bad. And he was an intimidating man. He was a champion in the eyes of his opponent. But when you look past the scare tactics of Goliath, something just wasn't quite right with him. Goliath's behavior in this story is puzzling. He's supposed to be this mighty warrior, this man of valor. But things are happening and unfolding that say otherwise. First, he's led down to the valley floor accompanied by an attendant. That's a problem. Which was, it was a servant walking before him, carrying his shield, carrying an archer's shield. And here's the problem. This is completely out of place. Shield bearers in ancient times only accompanied archers into battle. 
not infantry, not a foot soldier. They were there to offer protection while the archers shot arrows at the enemy because they could not defend themselves while they were aiming and taking shot. So why does Goliath, a man calling for sword on sword single combat, need to be assisted by somebody carrying an archer shield? That makes zero sense. And it doesn't add up. And why does he say to David, come to me? And why can't Goliath go to David? He's just a boy. This should be easy work for Goliath. He's built many, he's, he's, he's murdered many people. He's the, the champ. He's the people's champ. Why in the world would he call someone to him? One Bible translation emphasizes on how slowly Goliath moves, which is a really odd thing to say about someone who is an alleged battle-tested hero of infinite strength. And why doesn't Goliath respond much sooner? To the sight of David coming down the hillside without any sword, without any shield, and without any armor. He's literally got a staff and a bag and some rocks. When he first sees David, his first reaction is to insult him. When he should be terrified. He seems to be oblivious of what's happening around him. There's even this strange comment. After he finally spots David coming down the hill. And as he begins to make his descent to the valley floor. He says, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? Why did Goliath say sticks? The Bible says that David had his shepherd's bag, he had his sling, and he had his staff. So why is Goliath seeing multiple sticks? He only had one stick. This is puzzling for a man that claims to be a champion. What's up with Goliath? And after much study, I've come to find that what many medical experts believe is that Goliath had a serious medical condition. He looks and he sounds like someone suffering with acromegaly. And acromegaly is a disease caused by a benign tumor of the pituitary gland. This tumor causes an overproduction of human hormone, growth hormone, which would explain Goliath's extraordinary size. And furthermore, one of the common side effects of the acromegaly is vision problems. Pituitary tumors, they can grow to the point where they press on the nerves leading to the eyes, causing people with acromegaly to suffer from restricted sight and double vision sticks. So, why was Goliath, the champion, led onto the valley floor by an attendant? Carrying an archer's shield. Because the attendant was his visual guide. According to the symptoms of acromegaly, he couldn't see very far. And what he could see was distorted. And why does Goliath move so slowly? Because the world around him is a blur. And why does it take him so long to understand that David has changed the rules of the fight? Goliath was infantry. He was trained in close combat. His armor was fashioned for close combat. It was beautiful. But it was too heavy and too bulky and too much for agile movement. He was so weighed down that he couldn't dodge any arrows or stones being slung from a sling. Goliath was expecting David to come and fight him on his terms. Mistake number two. Because David said, I'm going to fight on God's terms. 
It's here where Goliath shouts to the top of his lungs, Come to me, that I may give your flesh to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the fields. And hidden within this request reveals a hint of vulnerability from Goliath, which was this, I need you to come to me because I can't see well enough to come to you. What everyone else saw as a giant. What everyone else saw as a champion was just a visually impaired man that talked a big game. What everyone else saw as an impossible challenge was just some elaborate scheme, an illusion put on by the enemy. And it's what he does. The enemy tries his best to deceive us. He will do everything he can to tell you that you're not going to make it. He will paint whatever picture he's got to paint. You listen to me this morning. He will get in your ear and he will tell you you're not good enough. He will tell you that nobody loves you. He'll tell you you need to take your blocks and go home because nobody wants to play here with me. He will tell you whatever it takes to stop you, to sidetrack you, to hang you up because he understands it's all an illusion. It's all a mirage and it's all a facade. And if you can ever see past the illusion if you can ever see past the illusion you'll say you know what I believe it if my God is for me who can be against me the Bible says that he goes around seeking someone that he may devour As a lion, excuse me, seeking someone as a lion he may devour. The key word here is as, as a lion. The devil ain't nothing but a schemer. He's a liar, a master manipulator, and he understands one important thing. If he can keep you deceived, and as long as he can take away any hope that you have, he's got this in the bag, and he'll meet you later on in eternity. But you listen to me this morning. As long as you continue, listen, as long as you continue to say within yourself, I can't do it. As long as you continue to walk around with the mindset of, I've been through too much, I'm too broken, I've seen too much, I've went too far, I've, I've messed around on my family, I've messed around on my wife, I've done things I shouldn't do, I've witnessed things I shouldn't have said, I've gossiped about people, God can't use me. If he can keep you believing that and talking that, then he doesn't have much of a fight on his hand. And you've already lost and he's already won. Yes. Goliath looked bad and he sounded bad, but it was just noise. Goliath looked bad and he sounded bad. It was a facade. Yes, Goliath was a champion. And in close combat, he would destroy you. I'm not discrediting who Goliath was. He was a champion. He was a mighty warrior. He was illustrious. When you fought on his terms, he looked bad. But placed in the DNA of Goliath was David's victory. You listen to me. That only comes from DNA. And our DNA comes from God. So placed in the DNA of Goliath was David's victory. The battle was won way before David ever stepped foot on the battlefield. Deuteronomy 31 and 8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. And he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Isaiah 45, 2 and 3 says this. I will go before you and I will level the exalted places. 
I will break into pieces the doors of bronze. I will cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of darkness and hordes in, in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. What you are going through is not the end of you. What you are faced with is not the end of your story. And though you may be a prisoner in your suffering, and though you may be in a season of suffering, if you will just dig your feet in the ground and you can say, God, if you are for me, there's nothing that can stop me. God, if you fight my battles and I'm good. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows all, he's in all, through all, he's above all, he is all. You may see your giant standing in front of you. Your problem may be facing you this morning and it may look like it's over. The enemy may be beating his chest and telling you that he's done. There, there, there isn't any use in trying, but I've got good news for you. It ain't over till God says it's over. It ain't finished till God says he is finished. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. God is about to use the very thing that's been trying to kill you to make you into what he created you to be in the first place. God is getting ready to set a table out before you. It was David, the same David that said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I just want to tell you this morning, God is getting ready to set a table right up in front of the people that made it their life's work to destroy you. He's about to set you up, build you up. He's about to bring your family home. If you'll just dig your feet in the ground and say, I won't move. Now is no time to quit. It's not time to throw up your hands and say, oh, I give up. I'm done. It's time, time to stand up. Here's the thing, I have, to, I have to hurry up. God had a plan all along. When David met Goliath that day on the battlefield, it was a tailor-made situation that only David could do. Think about that for a second. There are fights that only you can win. There are battles that only you can face. These trials you're going through, they're not meant to break you. They're meant to make you. This suffering that you've, been, that you've been going through, it's not the end of you. But this battle was tailor-made for David. Goliath was a champion. He wins in close combat. Hands down. No questions asked. He's like, what, 12, 14? Who knows? Someone smarter than me. But he loses every time. So God, who is rich in his wisdom and knowledge, sends a harmless little shepherd boy to do what a grown man couldn't accomplish and it really seems like in this moment that God's got this whole thing figured out it does seem like God knows what he's doing but none of that matters none of that matters if David refuses to go back to the field after he was anointed to be king all of God's provisions are all a waste if David doesn't humble himself and return to the sheep because it was just one chapter prior that David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And it would have been easy for David to become aggravated and disappointed when he wasn't sent back, when he was sent back to the field and immediately thrown back to the sheep. David could have been, could become stuck on himself. He was selected over his brothers. 
He, would have, he could have walked around reminding everybody who he was and, or what he was going to be. David could have refused to go back to his old life of shepherding. And, but instead, he spent his days living for God. It was Samuel who anointed his head. He had the promise of kingship. Why should he go back to the sheep? He could have walked around with an I've made it attitude. But nope. David went back to the field. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. This is the point. David went back to the field. And it was in that field where David became David. You hear me? It was in that field with those few sheep that he killed the lion and the bear. It was in that field where he learned that God could do anything but fail. He learned through the trials that he gained faith and he learned his boldness and he learned his gift. And David, that day when David stepped on the battlefield to fight the, the, the giant named Goliath, he didn't have to guess what God could do. He already knew. It was in that field when he discovered the sling and the stone, spending hours Day in and day out shooting, working on his arm. It was in that field where he learned to trust God. Where he learned for himself that no weapon formed against me can prosper. He had a promise. He had an anointing. He had a purpose. And there wasn't a thing that anybody could do to him until those promises came to pass. That day on the battlefield, and I'm coming to a close, that day on the battlefield as David faced the biggest giant of his life named Goliath, he was not operating out of zeal. He was operating out of skill. And skill comes with time. Skill comes with prayer. Skill comes with fasting. Skill comes with fighting. Skill comes with trusting. I trust you though. He may slay me. I trust you. That's when skill comes. Skill comes with patience and practice. It comes with the trials of life. It comes when circumstances seem impossible. It, serves, it comes when it's too big. Because trials produce faith. So David went back to the field and fought the little battles. And it was the little battles that prepared him for the moment that would forever change his life. It was the victory over the little battles that gave him the faith to slay the giant. And you may be in a season of suffering this morning, but God, God has a purpose for your pain. It may not make sense. You may be looking around and saying it is over and it is done and I, I, I'm too old. I'm too old or I'm too young or I've done too much. I can't stop visiting these sites. I, 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 I can't stop drinking. This isn't the cards for me. My daddy was an alcoholic, so I'm going to be an alcoholic. My mama shot up drugs, so I'm going to shoot up drugs. My dad was a, a whoremonger, so I'm going to be a whoremonger. It's just in the cards for me. You don't have to believe that lie. I don't know who told you that getting by is good enough, but that is a lie. It is not the will of God for us to just get by. It's God's will for us to have an abundant life. It's God's will for us to stand up in the face of adversity. It's God's will for us to fight. Jay gave me this this morning. I brought it with me. I'm, I'm done. Thank you. The world needs ordinary men to do extraordinary things. How about the world needs ordinary people to do extraordinary things? If, I'm not, if, if you're not going to reach them, then who? If you're not going to stand up for them, then who? We need, extra, we need ordinary people to stand up and fight for an extraordinary God. 
As I opened, I told you of a story about a piece of art. And for years, that was the story. Checkmate. Y'all remember that? Checkmate. The devil won. He has the soul. He's got it all. There's no moves left to be made for the man, and the devil has one move, and it's the ultimate move, and he's going to win. And that was the story for years. Until one day, this man walked into that art exhibit, and he stops, and he sees that painting. And he just looks at it. And he said, sir, 10 minutes passes by. And he's just sitting there. And finally, an attendant walks up and says, sir, you have been mesmerized by this picture. What's, what's, what's going on? What's going on here? And he said, well, I need you to understand something. I, I'm a world champion chess player. Okay, this is what I do. I love chess. I understand chess. Nobody can beat me at chess. I'm the best. He was one of those guys. He said, I've been looking at this board, and I've been looking at the description, and it says checkmate, and it says that the devil has one more move, and then the man's going to lose. He has no moves to, to, to make, and this is checkmate. He said, but as I begin to study this board, I just want to tell you something. Something's out of place here. He said, because what I see is I see a man that has one more move and a devil that has no moves. And the move that I see is the king. And I just want to tell you right now, your description of what you're seeing is a lie. The king can still move. And he began to run through that art exhibit saying, it's a lie. It's a lie. The king can still move. And I just want to tell you this morning, the devil may have you convinced. He may be telling you that it's over. And you may be looking at it and believing it. But I just want to tell you something this morning, saying of God, it's a lie. The king can still move in your life. You can stand to your feet. It's a lie. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't believe the lie. Your families can come home. Your kids can come home. Your life can be better. This ain't got to be the best. And I close with this. Don't quit. It's not over. But if you're okay, listen to me good. I don't want you to cheer for the wrong thing. But if you're okay with just getting by, if you're okay with just making it, if you're okay with losing your kids to the world, we see it every day. If you're okay with your marriage falling apart, if you're okay with your businesses going bankrupt, if you're okay with remaining a prisoner in this pain of your suffering, if you're okay with continuing in your depression and you're in anxiety, if you're okay with those things, if you're okay with the state of your life, then why don't you just remain quiet, don't say anything, sit back down and don't make a move. But if you're ready to stand up and fight for your family, if you're ready to fight for your kids, if you're ready to fight for your business, if you're ready to fight for your home, if you're ready to fight for your peace, then why don't you just begin to make some noise right now? Why don't you just begin to proclaim? Why don't you just begin to let prayers go up and say, God, I've been going through it, but you brought me through it. You brought me to it, and I'm going through it. I just wonder if there's anybody in this place this morning that's just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just wonder if there's anybody in this place this morning that wants a better life, that wants to know what it's like to live a life of abundance, that wants to know what it's like to be free from sin. You don't have to walk around with that sin. You listen to me, visitor, this morning. You came to the right place. 
and the devil's had you bound. He's had you messed up and he's told you that it's over. But you stepped into a place and a body of believers and a God that can remove every sin from your life. Every one of us in this building are blood bought. And the king can still move in your life. So this morning, I open the altar and I just ask if anybody is sick and tired of letting the devil just walk all over them, that you make your way down to this altar and you begin to proclaim some things. If you're just sick and tired, or if you're just sick and tired of accepting things the way they are and you're ready to see your family come to God, then why don't you just make your way down here? And why don't we just turn this place into a prayer room? Why don't we just begin to make bold proclamations for our faith? The King, He can still move this morning. Come on, church, let's begin to pray. Let's begin to pray right now. Come on. Let's begin to pray. The King can still move. It's not over.